within that spot. That's locked. No one's going to DM me and suddenly I hear 100 Discord notifications and get people confused. I, I love the thing on like YouTube videos where someone's Discord like pings when they're recording something. And I'm like, who's messaging me? Nothing. No one. It was the video. You know, that happens to me sometimes, but it's typically those dumb little computer updates that pop up in the corner. Oh, yeah. For the, no the, uh, and you're like, oh, yeah. I did this show up. So, so, so if that ever pops up in one of my episodes, that's typically what it is. If I'm on my phone listening to an episode, I'd be even more confused. I'm like, my phone doesn't do this. What the heck is going on? Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Commander Podcast, where myself and other guests talk about our favorite uncommon legendary creatures that we run as commanders. Today, I have MJ from the MTG in Quarantine podcast, an absolute force in our community, and one that I'm glad to have back after, I think, 30 episodes. So welcome back, MJ. Hey, Cole. What's up? It's it's another fun night of conversation and another fun commander that I admittedly overlook, and I think... You're going to be opening my eyes a little bit tonight. Uh, and for some people, it's another a Boros pair, but that's fine, because Boros is sweet. Uh, MJ, what is the main legendary creature we're talking about tonight? Okay, so if I understand this correctly, Cole, um, we are going to be talking about a certain uncommon commander out of Commander Legends, known as Prava of the Steel Legion. Prava of the Steel Legion is a 1-4 cat soldier costing 2 and a white. And has some very interesting flavor text. As long as it's your turn, creature tokens you control get plus one, plus four. And has an activated ability for three and a white to create a one, one white soldier creature token. And Prava has partner. So we'll, we'll go to the other partner for uh, in, in a bit. But one of the things that Prava does that, that kind of conflicts with how I normally assess tokens especially creature tokens. I don't look at creature tokens to be very permanent like any other card in your deck. I think about them as very temporary, whether that means they're going to be dying in combat or we're going to be sacrificing them to aristocrat effects or something like that. But Prava, on our turn, gives more than just an anthem effect. It gives them a, such a, a buff to their toughness that they might actually survive combat. And I think that's actually very interesting and worth looking into. For sure. I mean, that buff right there was really what got me interested in building the deck to begin with. I am admittedly a huge token fanatic. I love token decks. I've got like eight to ten different ones together at any given time. And Prava just basically giving you an anthem in the command zone for your tokens and then giving you a an outlet for mana later in the game or especially one you can use at instant speed without having to tap was very very enticing for me and when i think about the mana token ability of just paying three and a white it's something that i very often in my head downplay as effective and i think and and i keep mentioning all my previous guests and i'll continue to do so peter aka mono white border has talked about this type of effect along with uh, Heliod 1.0, uh, another card that I kind of downplay in my head, but has, uh, I think, that one, and I think Oketra also makes a token if you pay mana into yes. it. Yes, original Oketra does. Yes, so 
Prava enters sort of the the pantheon of white creatures that make creatures for four mana. But it's a good mana sink more than I ever really considered. And Prava also pumps it. So you could maybe, you know, hypothetically speaking, you're on an end step and you're like, okay, I got mana open. I was holding up removal, but nothing happened. So make a token, go to my turn. I now have effectively made a 2-5, which is a lot better in paper than than I've ever had, like, in theory in my head. And so I, and I, I'm looking through your deck list here and it's like, there's a lot of ways for all those tokens to be, to freaking pop off. And Prava really helps out with that. For sure, for sure. This is uh, the, the deck list that we're talking about here is kind of kind of along the way I like building decks, which is effectively seeing whatever in the heck is in my box of chaff that really fits the theme. And then, you know, I got a lot of interesting token synergies, a lot of really good removal, you know, because white is really good at removing things. And uh, then just some really nice utility cards and some creatures that can take some advantage off the additional creatures hit creature tokens in the battlefield. So just it's a nice little mix and a very, you know, very neat package. But we're talking about all these other red cards. And I guess, you know, not an uncommon. I know we've been doing this on and off, but we got Crark the Thumbless as the partner. And I thought yes. and that... Now, I know what everyone's thinking. Whoa, Crark the Thumbless, what the heck is going on here? Well, I, I think the rest of the list speaks for itself, but but what are you looking for with Crark that contributes to the deck? Okay, so uh, for anyone who is out there listening who hasn't listened to my show, um, I'm going to just make this very clear right now. I love Boros. I love the combination of red and white. I really love white specifically as by itself or with other colors. But what I enjoy about the Boros color pairings is, while a lot of people say it's not that uh, not that unique, I feel like there's a lot of ground that people have never really taken the chance to look at. So I wanted to utilize this ability when I got a Krark card, altered custom Krark alt card with from friend of the show, Scoop Phase. Shout out to Scoop right here. Uh, sent that to me a few months ago, I figured I wanted to build something around Krark. And when I was digging in the long box, obviously I was looking for white partners because I just really enjoy Boros. And Prava just really stuck out to me because, again, I, one, enjoy tokens, and two, the Anthem effect, and three, just allowed me to play with a lot of different cards I hadn't really utilized in my collection up to this point. So... What ended up happening was I created this list, which I called Boros Party Favors, because you're never quite sure what you're going to get out of a bag of Party Favors, and you're never really quite sure what you're going to get out of Krark whenever you play this deck. So the idea, ultimately, is to be able to try to get a whole bunch of tokens onto the battlefield, utilizing things like one of my favorite cards called the Copper Coats, which is instant that allows you to get just a butt-ton of human soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield if your opponents are playing creatures. I'm running one of my favorite cards of all time, Empty the Warrens, which creates goblin tokens, has Storm. Um, I'm utilizing Prava's ability to be able to get creatures on my turn, on my opponent's turn, and really what I do enjoy about this deck 
are kind of two things. Is one, I'm able to play a lot of different prowess creatures in this deck. So I, I'm, I'm basically bringing some aspects of Spellslinger into Boris, which you don't necessarily see a lot outside of decks like uh, Rem Carolus, Fire Song and Sunspeaker, things like that. But it's not a burn deck. That's the big difference here. Is that when those two that I just mentioned, you you would typically see those are like a feather deck. You're typically going to see uh, like kind of a homogenized way to play. I think is the way to. To, to describe that one and when i built this deck specifically i wanted to try to get some aspects of spell slinger but then be able to get into that boro shell try to get kind of that is it type experience the red blue experience into red and white and i was able to do that by throwing a lot of prowess creatures you know seeker of the way thorned moloch uh, Dragon Bell Monk, Bedlam Reveler, just kind of chaffy cards that are sitting that were sitting around in my collection at the time that all give themselves plus one, plus one whenever you cast non-creature spells. So really how that fits in with Krark is that I'm able to play a whole bunch of very small instants, whether that's my uh, removal, my abrades, or uh, something like Dragon Fodder, just get a few extra tokens on the battlefield, Basri Solidarity, putting plus one, plus one counters on things. If these go off and get copied with Krark, that's great. I could always use four tokens for two mana off Dragon Fodder. I could get two plus one plus one counters off Basri Solidarity. But if Krark doesn't fire off, and I'm only getting one flip per, per activation here, so that's kind of the big thing to, to know about this particular list, is that that card's going to go straight back to my hand. Then if I have the mana, I can cast it again. So I am running several different ritual effects. I do run Jessica's Will because, yes, I do have one in my collection. I'm running a few what, copy spells. What? Playing a really good red card in a... <laughs> we're talking about Uncommon Commanders. No, I'm... <laughs> Jessica's Will is a bonkers magic card. And especially when you're running two commanders, there's never really a bad time to cast a Jessica's Will and get oh, both, no. both modes. Yeah, so... I, just if, if I'm able to get any kind of ritual on the board, if Krark takes it, great. I get uh, double red mana. I'm able to get I, I don't know how how ma however much red mana I would normally get plus a copy. And if it doesn't work, it's only three mana. I can cast it again. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, all those prowess triggers go off again. Now my Bedlam Reveler, my Dragonvale Monk. Well, now they're all plus two, plus two, and. You know, combat damage is a real thing in Match of the Gathering, uh, kind of contrary to what a lot of people think. And, you know, what else also really works with uh, Kark the Thumbless? Uh, gutter Snipe. Goblin <laughs> Pal Gutter Snipe. Oh, Things man. like that. Which, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Gutter Snipe will deal two damage to each opponent. So I'm running Gutter Snipe, I'm running Electrostatic Field, I'm running Thermal Alchemist, which whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, untap Thermal Alchemist. And it just I'm getting value out of tokens, I'm getting value out of nice pingers and burn spells, burn spells without actually being burn spells. And hopefully then being able to either take the board out utilizing those, any, any combination of those, or just giant token swarm with the token swarming things I have in here. So kind of two different game plans in here, but Krark definitely allows me to play that because I'm playing a combined 38 instants and sorceries in this deck. So I just have a lot of things to play. They're generally low on the curve, not always, but uh, yeah, Krark just allows me to play a lot of spell slingery type effects. Well, also just being kind of a fun deck to play in general because you're never really quite sure if Krark's going to work for you or not. 
Uh, the first couple times I played this deck, I admittedly lost almost all the flips. I think I won like one out of eight. I think and I, I was, ran it. I had no cards in hand. So I was, uh, I was yeah. present for one of those games at one point in the past. It was it was a few months ago for us, but uh, it was not a good time for you. Kark was not on your side that day, and it was like, Kark, work for me here. Anything, please. Like I'm just trying to draw some cards, and he's like, Nah. Nah, nah, fam, you're on your own. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th- that's the thing about Kirk is that unless, uh, in, you know, you kind of have to have a tolerance for for failure when you're playing this deck. But I think that's one of the big draws that I have to playing this deck, especially with new people, with people I haven't played with much or at all before. Is Kirk is kind of the perfect social deck for me. Is you're, if if it does the thing, it's really awesome, and people will remember that. If it doesn't do the thing, and you basically blow up spectacularly, people will also remember that. And you can utilize that as a really cool social opportunity if you are able to kind of divorce yourself from the idea that you have to win the game to enjoy yourself. Because uh, Kark is basically just kind of a ticking time bomb. You're just never quite sure when it's going to go off. Or if it's going to blow up in your face. And that that's basically how I look at this list. And Prava's really kind of there to just kind of be like the, the steadying presence. So if Kark is the chaos. Uh, chaotic one. Yeah. yeah, if Kark is the chaos, you know, being in mono red, right? Prava is the embodiment of mono white, basically saying, hey, if Kark dies, I can still do something really good, advance the game <laughs> plan. Probably maybe stabilized yeah. to win the game. Yeah, yeah so, so, so basically, Kark is kind of the, the catalyst, the engine to get this deck started, try to get some tokens on the battlefield. Then if Kark dies, I'm actually not all that sad, because then Prava can kind of come in, kind of like the reliever from your bullpen if you watch baseball, um, and kind of try to clean up the mess before closing out the game. So I think, so I, had, I definitely do have to agree with you that, and it also makes me think about another subject that I might be able to touch on later. Prava and Krark as a pair, along with this whole deck, which I find very reactive. It's kind of the antithesis of a typical Boros deck. You have an overall low creature count, and you have an absolutely high reactive side of 23 instants out of the whole deck so you're very you can have a lot of flexibility on your off turns and it all comes together as sort of a a neat little well it's it is a neat little package you have things that make tokens you have things that draw you cards you have things that you want to be copied by a crark but once they've been used or maybe if you copy them multiple times i mean i'm thinking about a uh, like a doubled call the copper coats that you strive and then you just make a boatload of human soldiers and then Prava's there to sort of get them ready for the attack and i think overall like that is a super sweet package and definitely a deck i think is a great way to establish who you are as a player especially like you said if you're uh, you're playing with new people you know you don't want to it's not like we're playing CDH right off the gate and we're, we're trying to establish something. It's like, hey, we're here to have fun. Uh, this deck might just straight up blow up in my face, and uh, that'll be cool when it happens. Hey, I mean, even CDH car can be really fun to watch it blow up in your face, too. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just, Kark is just one of those fun commanders that I really don't think you can ever really have a bad time with because even if Kark does screw you over mid-game, uh, you, when you shuffle up and play again, you'll just forget all about that. You have seven new cards in your hand, you have Kark, 
and you have a dream of hopefully not having Kirk mess you up in the, in the next game. So he's just kind of that really fun deck that I like going back to whenever I, I just kind of want to kick back and have an overly interactive deck. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that I really like about this deck, and you've, you've touched on it several times going through some parts here, we have you have good cards in the deck like we you know like we said you have jessica's will Kirk, you know depending on your stance is like a fantastic card and a lot of people i think have a high opinion of like gutter snipe and electrostatic field as sort of good cards you would put in a deck but one of the things that i really like about the bulk of the list here and you pointed it out because it's something most of these cards you've gotten just simply out of your collection there's a lot of cards that i just simply don't see in an average commander game. I don't see um, Monastery Swift Spear very often or Dragon Bell Monk, because like you said, they're they're chaffy. You don't really see them a whole lot or very often. But then I see things like Heartwarming Redemption, Goblin Wizardry, which I remember looking at this card when spoilers were coming out for, for Corset 2021, and I'm like, instant speed, four mana, create two... 1-1 one, one red goblin creature wizard tokens with prowess which like i very like i have never ever seen anyone play this card and i'm super happy to see cards like that in this deck where it has a home and it can really pop off if you get yourself set up really well yeah the, those kinds of cards honestly cole i just love pulling those for my collection because i've just got this huge bunch of cards that i really want to use but are just kind of on the cusp sometimes mm -hmm. you know you're not quite sure if they're gonna work or not but when you find that one home for them the, the perfect home like this deck for a lot of those kind of chaffy instants and sorceries you wouldn't normally play like you said this deck really makes them shine i, I feel like a lot of this deck kind of i kind of took the feather the redeemed mindset to this deck and uh if if people are out there looking at this deck list or you know cole looking at this deck list you can basically see a lot of comparisons to the feather style of building without actually you know obviously using the exact same cards yeah i mean the you know you sure you get some of your single target target spells that maybe maybe you're protecting Kark or Prava or, you know, you're trying to, or at least, you know, if Kark's around, you might be able to protect your stuff. Um, but you also have a handful of other cards that really do scale up well in this style of deck, and especially if you're even able to sort of copy them. Um, for example, like, First Day of Class, which is something that I've kind of fiddled around with as a sort of sweet utility red card that if you're able to get uh, you know, maybe it's a late game card, but would maybe with the cards that you got in your hand, you're maybe able to do this sort of setup of maybe you do uh, you cast first day of class, which says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control this turn, put a plus one counter on it and it gains haste until end of turn. With the added phrase of learn, where for commander players the only mode that matters is discard a card to draw a card. So you set that up, you get stuff like Basri Solidarity and Dragon Fodder and whatnot, and depending on what you do, maybe you sequence it with Quark and you win your flips, so you get two first day of classes, and suddenly your tokens that are coming out are gargantuan. And eventually, like, and, and this is sort of like the theory, and I think, you know, that, you, that you've played this a few times, you get to see sort of these hypotheticals that you kind of have in the back of your mind finally, you know, come to fruition of when this deck works, when it hits those, when you hit those coin flips and you make those tokens, it can 
make a very scary board really fast out of nowhere. And the only way that would have would have happened is because you sat down and put this deck together with that intent specifically. And I think uh, that's quite a beautiful thing to see. It's uh, I think it's something that very rarely comes together like this. For sure, for sure. I have been uh, killed with my own deck. Uh, storm count eight, empty the Warrens, first day of class, unblockable tokens. Ooh. Yeah, that has happened. And it was against me in, in a game with my regular play groups. I mean... Yeah, again, what I, all I can say is is that I didn't even know it could do that. So, yeah, again, never underestimate what your deck can do, in the hand, especially in the hands of someone else, too. And I think, I, I, I know Peter has said this before, and a few other people have, have said this, is that we can theory craft our decks by ourselves all we want, right? But the practicality of actually sitting down, experiencing a card, playing a card, and seeing how it all finally works out i mean it's not every day you really have a, a a storm count high enough that when you do finally resolve and empty the warrens into a first day of the class like you have instant army with maybe just a handful of mana and a handful of spells and you're beating people down in a commander game whoa that's crazy how could you do that but that's again the beauty of commander as well your theory put into practice results in a giant army of goblins because Krark's like, let's go, Starcow, brr, let's go. And we're, we're off. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm stumbling over myself, but I, I just really appreciate what this deck does. And I think a lot of the cards, even for me personally, like, I'm a big fan of. I love How of the Horde and Honor of the God Pharaoh. And we got, I, I mentioned this before the episode started, a Phantom General and Seeker of the Way and, like, gold knight commander like this is this card alone is often seen as sort of like a mimicry of more powerful like enchantments and, and permanents but when you're putting like 20 creatures or 10 creatures into play and they all suddenly like get pumped off each other out of nowhere this is sort of the the other thing that i really appreciate that in what we've been talking about it's sort of the Okay, it's time to pop off. What are you going to do about it? If no one sees it coming, it's the biggest sneak. It's effectively like it's just a giant sneak attack. Instant army in a, in a pan, you know? Can, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's. I, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of cool stuff here. So I'm definitely going to be sharing this list in the show notes because this is just super fun. And I'd be interested in seeing what you would, you know, as time goes along... You know, what would you tweak? What are some of the cards that maybe you're like, it, it doesn't work, like, in your head. It doesn't scratch the itch, but this other card, in theory, could be really good. And I want to see what those picks would be like in the future once you once you update over time. For sure, for sure. I mean, I, I can't promise anything right now. There are a couple of cards that kind of don't do what I need them to do. In sometimes, other times they work quite well. Others I just really haven't had a chance to play around with. So... Yeah, there could be some changes, but I really like the direction that this deck is going in. It's just kind of got all the fun little pieces in there. It's got some very expensive cards cost-wise. Um, basically anything over a dollar <laughs> in, in this list is kind of expensive. But uh, yeah, it's they weren't that expensive when I bought them. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, like a year ago, this deck list would have been like 50 bucks. So really, it, 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 it's a testament to how you can still build fun and quite synergistic decks for a very low monetary cost. Yeah, and that's something that 
you know, even amongst the most rambunctious and loudspoken online, on Twitter, and wherever you, you kind of see other people's opinions, just because a deck is super expensive doesn't mean it can't lose to a deck that is a fourth, a fifth, a twentieth of its price. And, you know, we're playing a multiplayer game with four, four people, and we have approximately 60% of a deck that's singleton, maybe you know, arguably 75%. So at that point, the chips fall where they may. It doesn't matter about the price of the deck. For sure. Now, we touched on a bit of a topic before we were chatting here about token strategies, and you're a big fan of them. Yeah. Uh, it's you. It's all over this deck that it's, it's basically a token deck. And I... I was thinking about this earlier, and I mentioned it is that I think when I think about tokens, I think about them as temporary. And maybe that's my experience with my playgroups in the past where people usually sacrifice the tokens to some effect or the expectation that they're going to be more made later and that the ones now are temporary. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll figure out the rest later. But I think the Prava, Prava's effect of boosting tokens plus one plus four is a neat step in in a direction that i i feel as if doesn't get touched on very well like i'm used to seeing intangible virtue like effects of your token creatures get plus one plus something or they get a they get an ability right but nothing i think as extreme as a plus one plus four and i think that's i think that's really fun and interesting and kind of reminds me that token decks can be really really fun Definitely. I mean, really what I enjoy about token decks is they give you that army in a can uh, right out of the box. Um, you Playing uh, in my personal play group, we have a lot of board wipes. And I mean, and by a lot I of remember, board wipes, yeah, I you, mean quite you... a few. So tokens are typically a way to be able to quickly rebuild after any kind of wipe. So I, I, I can at least stay relevant immediately afterwards instead of having, well, oh, okay, got to replace this three drop, got to replace a four drop. Well, no, tokens can just come down, bam, I have something to protect myself, something to attack with. You know, I have the means of production to do something on my next turn. The whole found, like the whole foundation, the something that, that I think the, the call the copper coats and... I was thinking of another card, White Sun Zenith. The instant speed, end of turn. Oh, what was the other one? Uh, uh, something the wastes. It was from Oh, uh, Kanza Tarkir block. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, secure the wastes. Se yes, <clears throat> I, I do run that in another in another deck that also likes tokens. And it's just that one of the things that I think White does especially well, and this deck highlights it possibly more than most, that it's that instant speed development of a resource whether it's off prava it's off from a single card it's something that maybe early game you don't really get to utilize very well and then end game it becomes a fantastic finisher and i remember back around 2012 or 2013 when my friends you know step till 5 a.m play commander with the boys but a big finisher for, for my friends, more often than not, was an end step before their turn, cast a White Sun Zenith for a boatload of cats, of 2-2 cats out of nowhere. It'd be 
seven, like the X is seven, eight, nine mana. And suddenly whatever board wipe we thought like got the game to a neutral state or we, you know, we stopped a player from winning someone, same player, another player pop that card out. And, you know, it, we were suddenly back in, in the red zone. It was like, holy crap. We are in big trouble right now because of an army of cats. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are some of the thing? What are some of the other types of of token decks that you've personally made in the past? Okay, so uh, I I had Ken from Stacked EDH and Scoop Phase on an episode a few weeks ago or a few months ago, depending on when this episode is released, uh, talking all about Krark in both CDH contexts as well as more casual settings. And in that discussion it kind of came up how would you build a kind of a crook casual deck that's a little bit out of the norm and uh, a lot of people really haven't seen this i built a conceptual deck basically the next day after i did that episode and it's crook the thumbless along with siddhar kondo of jumura who's a two five human knight costing two green white has flanking but more importantly creatures your opponents control without flying or reach can't block creatures with power two or less so basically kind of taking Prava to the nth degree by basically saying, okay, instead of having to have cards in my Boros Party Favors deck that force creatures to not be able to block, how about I just prevent you from blocking my stuff? So basically this deck is kind of built a little bit the same, but basically takes the token theme to the nth degree. I'm running a Dragon Lair Spider. That's a really good one. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, put a plus one or plus one 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 green insect creature token on the battlefield i love i'm running Gisol oh, gold main i'm running did you uh, run Oren, uh, Dr- uh dragon brig mother do you run uh no i'm not but i am running skewt swarm in this deck close enough um, <laughs> uh yeah yeah skewt swarms in there siege gang commander which is another favorite of mine um toski bear of secrets so i can draw cards whenever my creatures hit young pyromancer and then i just have a whole suite of really big beefy sorceries i'm running again empty the warrens dragon fodder which do really good work for me in boros party mm-hmm, favors mm-hmm. but really what i enjoy about this i'm running increasing devotion i'm running storm herd and i, I know people don't like uh, dropping 10 mana on a single spell here but uh from experience again in my play group storm herd does work and and, and honestly play groups play groups really do define how we assess a card right most people they're like play more efficiency lower curve yada yada but like you said if you're if your table or your pod or whoever that you regularly play with like how many board wipe, like that's got to be like at least five or six board wipes that occur for you to be comfortable enough to hit 10 mana to cast a storm herd which is 10 mana for possibly like 20 to 30 creatures depending on where you're at in the game is like absolutely worth the investment oh definitely and i'm, I'm also running uh, again call the copper coats in here but as well as arachnogenesis Ooh. that's another really really good card in there create a bunch of tokens that's really nice um let's see what else am i running i'm, I'm running secure the wastes in there which again is just a nice token sink that i like throwing in there uh let's see what else running goblin slide which allows me to create some tokens whenever i cast non-creature spells well i'm going to be doing a lot of that i'm running just some other token generators here and then of course in the sideboard i am running finale of glory and white sun zenith as well in case i just want to really go in there and so the deck is kind of about building a lot of tokens and then using siddhar kondo's ability to try to be able to swing them in 
Um, and yeah, just I'm gonna have a ton, ton of uh, of tokens. Is is the idea? Obviously, I haven't actually put this deck together. It's all conceptual, but mm-hmm. I think this really kind of hits the point home of Clark can be used to make tokens. You don't have to necessarily do the do the um, the most quote unquote most powerful thing. You don't have to do the Clark Sakashima again. It's completely fine if you do but Clark just has that flexibility where it kind of goes with anything if you if you want to build it that way and i think there was something that you touched on earlier that i i actually really want to talk about now um sure you you want me to send you the list uh yeah sure why not heck i'll throw that out there as well but the thing i'm thinking of is Clark. Clark. I'm trying to think about... There's a few other cards that I think kind of match this. So, Clark is a card that's really interesting in that if someone, everyone at this point knows Krakashima as as sort of like the new the new sort of boogeyman for one reason or another. You get two <laughs> copies of Krak and you go, you just flip a bunch of coins, you're most likely or not going to be like, whatever, however the verdict is, right? Um, of just how absolutely crazy it is. But you're building Krak in a way that is so potentially detrimental for yourself. It is a literal coin flip or more of probability that your deck can effectively blow up in your face. And what yes, it, I am walking on, right on a razor blade. And, that is correct. And, and the, the impression that can give someone, whether that's the first time you're playing with them, someone you haven't played with in a while is the first time seeing this deck, whether it's the Prava version or the Siddhar Kondo one. The, the, the added flexibility of, of adding to a strategy in a non-blue deck while also running the heavy risk is something that I think is peak commander from a purely casual mindset of a social mindset of, hi, my name's NJ in this case. And you're like, I'm playing Krark. And everyone's like, oh no, and Prava what (laughs) go on (laughs) yeah and and i think that's something i think we talk i don't know if it's talked about a lot it's not something i've talked about of the type of impression that you want to leave on people whether that be you want to leave your mark as a deck builder as a theory crafter as a player or establishing your personalities in some way with that hi i'm playing Krak prava check this out blows up in your face in a spectacular way or a whimper, or you're freaking storming off so crazy that you're winning those coin flips and someone's just absolutely losing their mind. And you're just like, yes, I embrace the chaos and the order simultaneously in this Boros <laughs> deck, right? And like, that's yep. something, uh, that's something I want to be capable of doing as well. And I think that's, that's something where for the first time, or maybe, you know, after a very long time sitting down with people and you know, if if the expectation is super low, we're like, hey, we're just hanging out. What is a deck that you would bust out to to leave that lasting impression of a fun deck that maybe or may not wins or, you know, whatever your personal expectations are, but that just leaves that lasting impression and a memory. And, like, yeah, when someone, like, you playing Krark is so enticing to me because you're not playing it traditionally, like, the the best way possible right there's no sakashima in sight no one has to worry about that you're not winning coin flips out of nowhere or you're not you know uh 
fixing the probability in your favor. You're letting yeah. you're letting the chips fall where they may. And I'm like, what kind of deck do I got that does that? And I honestly am not sure, but I want to <laughs> know. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's really cool to hear about that, Cole. Because I mean, for me, I I try to build my deck so that people try to remember their play experience against me. I want to be that guy who has the funky deck with a commander you've never heard of or building a commander in a completely different way than you've ever seen it before. I, I'm the guy who also built colorless Najila. I mean, I have done some crazy color shifting things. I've brought aristocrats into Boros as well. I haven't talked about that deck and it's really not all that relevant to this discussion, but I, and I got a lot of that from our mutual friend, Coach j who was really into doing that, and from Peter, and just from a lot of other really cool people out there who inspired me to try to take up this particular path. And so Krark was kind of a culmination of, I want to have just a fun deck that takes a powerful commander, but twists it in a way that you don't really know exactly what's coming till it hits you, or it doesn't. But you're going to remember that game. And I, as the Kark player, am going to remember that game as well because either I completely screwed myself or the thing actually goes off or, you know, just I did something. I did the thing with the deck. Maybe it doesn't win. Maybe it doesn't even come close to winning, but I still did that thing. And Prava is really what uh, is really that defining line is Prava makes my Boros Party Favors deck work. If I had any other commander in there uh, partnering with Krark, it would not work the same because Prava is the rock, the lifeblood of that deck. Without Prava of the Steel Legion, that deck does not function. And I can guarantee you that if you put anyone else in there, I mean, again, if someone's out there saying, well, why don't you put Timna in there? Does not work the same because Prava gives me so much value from all of the keyword abilities that any other commander with Krark, you know, you can try to build the same, but it's it's not the same. It's just that those two are made this perfect storm possible. And that's what I really uh, enjoy about that deck. Yeah, I was thinking, and you, again, because I love how we're just kind of fading off of each other on this. What, when I think of... There was something that I talked about with the Hermit Druid, uh, which is going to mm-hmm. be uh, the episode before this one. And Nathan's great, by the way. Yes, Nathan is an absolute storm. He is His mind is far beyond what I'm capable of. I was struggling <laughs> to keep up with the conversation. But he pointed out, and we were talking about how, although if there is a commander or a legendary creature or a card that is universally accepted across the community for numerous reasons, whether that be, um, like, what's the... What am I trying to say here? Like, uh, I think it's Krark. I think it's Dargo. I think... Um, I was um, wondering when you were going to say Dargo. Dar- there, where's the Dargo, where's <laughs> the Dargo drop? It's it's the Dargo drop. Um, We've all built Dargo, by the way. I have my list. Cole, you have your list. I do. Kinda everybody everybody kind of has their Dargo list. And... and uh, I want uh, Prosper uh, from the Commander, the Adventure of the Forgotten Realms Commander decks. There's a handful of legendary creatures that can be taken into different games and different parts of the community. And sometimes they have a bit... Uh, we talked about the loudness, uh, the loudness sort of scale of cards quite a while ago. But 
some of them are really strong in certain parts of the community but when you have people like lenny who takes some of these legends and kind of brings them down to earth quite a bit or even strips away the other components that sometimes makes them super fantastic and sometimes you have a fair commander that can fit all types of play across the spectrum of commander right like i my goal is to make a fun dargo deck that does not win the way nathan wins with dargo the way nathan wins with dargo has an intent of trying to win in a cdh game my intent with dargo is to sacrifice and loop dargo with a warstorm surge out and i have to work infinitely harder to achieve that goal and you're playing Krark in a boros deck where you're trying to make tokens and and, and copy spells but there's nothing really favoring like giving you the favor of the probability it's literally a coin flip and sometimes you're probably just going to end on that bad 50 percent where you just lose right and prosper i've seen in really good tune decks that make a lot of mana make a lot of treasure exile a lot of cards but at the same time i've seen just pretty fair prosper decks that just kind of float along do their thing make a bit of mana here and there get a bit of card advantage but ultimately come across as fair and i think that we're, we're kind of in a really good point of commander where there's boogeymen in the there's there's cars that are quote-unquote boogeyman in the community for one reason or another but there's a lot of also that kind of fit across all styles of play and i'm really happy to see that happen within like the last year or so yeah it is pretty awesome um now i got a question for you because i my, right. my answer is for the question is your colorless najila deck and also your kotha <laughs> bed deck but so is, 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 so is there anything before we get there cole yeah. any more thing we need to discuss about prava and just token stuff in general like how well, kind of how i'm jumping my all token over, decks? I'm, I'm jumping all over the place here sure, sure um what is when you think of okay maybe there's a few things so prava being a, a pretty sweet token general and all this other stuff if there's one card in white that you think defines tokens as a concept and even as a deck like what is a card that you would always want in a tokens deck that that really embodies what it's all about call the copper coats call hands the, down i i mean heck what a absolutely crazy card strive which we hadn't really seen since the original run of uh, theros and most people kind of pass up on but choose any number of opponents which this card could scale up in even a five or six player game where it could be where it could matter and it's like create create human tokens equal to the number of creatures those opponents control if you're in a token mirror like you were keeping up with them if not more so and it's just everything that is just super fantastic about a white token card and i need to get myself a copy as i keep saying oh yeah these types of cards yeah yeah for sure i mean again out there it's like three dollars a copy so it's still fairly cheap i stocked up because again being a token player i picked up uh three or four copies when when it came out when the site when ikoria came out um i picked up a couple of copies recently from a local game store and they were more expensive, but I just feel like with the number of token decks I run, Call of the Copper Codes is like the the first card. I I don't necessarily like saying staples on my own uh, podcast, the MTG and Quarantine podcast, because I feel like 
it's a very subjective term. Mm-hmm. But if you ask, if you since you have asked me, Cole, um, call the Copper Coast is effectively as much of an auto include as I would put in a token deck running white. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can't even argue with that. My line of thinking was intangible virtue, but sure. in terms of scale, like and utility like intangible virtue has its place it's an anthem effect with a keyword on it for tokens but honestly like by i as much as i do love that card for a lot of reasons a lot of personal reasons too like call call the copper coats i think definitely is like a more iconic representation of white and tokens and uh yeah i i really i really can't even argue that um and yeah, I think that that was the last point I wanted to talk about tokens because I I still think even to this day like uh, I, I think about all the old token decks that my friends used to play back in the day. My friend uh, still has his um, teamer tokens deck with his Riku, and uh, my buddy has his. Uh, Gay, oh shoot, how do you pronounce it? Gave of Gave, Gave, Guru of Spores, yeah, Guru of Spores. Like, that is what I think of, of like a, a tokens commander, a tokens deck. Um, and and we have thoroughly expanded uh, what a lot like a lot of what tokens can do. And and Prava also like offers a neat little buff and a neat little utility. Uh, to an uncommon legend, which yeah, at first, like before you brought it up, didn't think much of Prava. Now I have a much bigger respect for the card. Yeah, I and and thanks for having me on here, Cole, to talk about Prava because I I just I honestly when when I first opened my copy of Prava from Commander Legends, I wasn't overly bowled over either. I I can understand why Prava seemed very underwhelming at first. You know, because plus one, plus four, well, you know, the power is what goes through, right? It's not the toughness. Unless you're running uh, something like Arcades or, uh, you know, just any any kind of door in the siege tower. Yeah, exactly. For instance, where all all of a sudden that toughness becomes important. Well, you know, that's kind of a sticking point. And there is a barrier, I think, to entry for for, for Pravas. You, You have to... You have to basically separate the plus one, plus four from the rest of the time when your tokens are going to go back down to size. It's all a risk. Prava is not perfect uh, as, as a commander to give your to- tokens a permanent buff. That's why I'm running things like Intangible Virtue, first day of class, as you mentioned, because those do give permanent buffs. Uh, Glorious Anthem would be a pretty good card for this deck as well. I just haven't put it in there. But, you know, it's things that give permanent buffs. But I'm already dancing on a razor edge at this point with this deck and prava just gives me a little bit of certainty knowing that at least on my turn i'm gonna be able to do something cool and give my tokens the buff knowing that i could die on the crack pack the next turn it's that risk reward that i really wanted to get from this deck and it it just came kind of came together in a perfect storm found prava thought hey i could build a really cool token stack with this and just just built it and now i really love playing the deck and it also best exemplifies Boros, again, of just that high-risk, high-reward, Red's passion, uh, with a with a measure of White's resilience, um, and, and kind of coming together for this really high-risk, high-reward Boros deck, which, 
<clears throat> uh, I don't think I've been uh, selling it too often, but I am kind of a big Boros player. I'm a big fan. And uh, yeah, no, big, big kudos to putting this deck together. I'm a big <laughs> well, uh, us Boros players are definitely out there. We're, we're not just playing just equipment, equipment, equipment. We are doing very, very cool things out here with this color pairing. There, I will say this again. There is a lot of design space in Boros that people just often choose to ignore or just outright ignore. There is a lot, and I repeat, a lot of design space out there that has yet to be explored. And uh, I think last year Strixhaven was pretty much the peak example of they're not quite done yet with what white and red is capable of doing. And uh, hopefully, I mean, we're heading into a few new sets within the next few months, so it'll be interesting to see what... If and if we do see Boros again, what or uh, you know what what new playthings that we'll have in the next few months? For sure. Now I seem to recall you asking me about Najila, so I think that's a perfect segue. Well, what I was gonna say was that between Kothaped and Najila, those are the decks that make me think of you and left an impression whether it be an actual game conversations about it and just sort of the whole audacity even of Kothaped of like in the face of a game that has so many treasures and permanence popping you're like no I will play Kothaped like you cannot stop me it's what I choose to do I will I will die on this hill and die on that hill you probably would but that when I think of first impressions, those are sort of the two decks that I'm thinking of the top of my head, and I'm trying to think of I'm I'm thinking of other people in the community that you know I've interacted with or you know even had on the show before. Like when I think of a a deck that exemplifies Peter, for example, Monoway Border, his Leroy Jenkins Nadar deck is is the immediately thing like the biggest thing I think of, of just audacity the sheer like determination of going through the tomb of annihilation just to get everything in order and it's just i'm like that man is insane but my god he's going to commit to it and that that's sort of the <laughs> that's my first impression for him i think of uh i think of fitz we think of mr fitzy fitz and his uh obosh and yannette deck regardless of which version he's got um, I'm thinking of the $50 one, of just the pure, like, hey, rule zero is okay if I play Obosh is like a black card. We're like, cool, go for it. Smokes us. Thanks. Thank you, Fitz. <laughs> and, wow, because when, when I think of Fitz, I think of uh, Temet and the Merit Lays. Yeah, and, and, I, and now that you said it, I immediately am like, oh, actually, hold on a second here. It's definitely the Temet deck of just whoops oh here's uh here's merit lage deal with it we're like okay let's try and deal with it as a table now because we are in big trouble and yeah just I, i'm trying to think of a few other people that I, I think are really iconic i think of uh fully from neil royal i think of his shadrick's silver quill deck and i th when i think of kelly i think of her uh motto black uh gisa zombie deck um no not captain ripley vance no because that's mine <laughs> okay well you see i think of kelly as playing uh, captain ripley vance Dang so <laughs> you see but we're both different and that's what's really cool about all this yeah and and i think i think again the best exemplifies the point of 
When we think about decks that either remind us of the people that we played with previously or the impression that other people leave with us. Like, I think of... Uh, I recently played um, with a handful of people. Someone, uh, Alice, uh, was playing her um, Shor- uh, Sh- uh, Shorkai deck, which was pretty much out of the box with a few tweaks, uh, but the, a super, super sweet Gundam altar of the Gundam Wing Zero as the altar. And I'm like, well, that's... Now that is in the back of my brain. I'm like, that's that's what I think of of Alice in the deck and um, other and, and if you like, I, I could mention a whole lot of other people of just like when I think of an iconic deck that represents them or my impression of them. And yes, for me, Kelly, it's Gisa, and not you know Captain Ripley Vance, but that'll be our eternal rivalry right there. Oh, definitely. Uh, we all have our own signature decks. And it's really fun to be able to say, hey, this is my signature deck. I like bringing it out, especially against new people. Or just if we just want to have that game, you just know exactly, okay, instinctively, bam, I'm going to go find this exact deck. It takes a lot of the, the, the thinking out of the process, and you just you get more time for gaming. Exactly. And I think I would say it's my Audric Blood Curse deck that might be the one that I'm trying to best to to be representative of who i am as a player at least recently i did build that new ishin deck and that deck is super duper fun whoa wait we're talking about commanders that aren't uncommons what that's crazy but yeah no there's a lot of the recent decks that i put together within the last few months are ones that i i try to put a lot of effort in to be iconic to me and and leave an impression and uh, uh some people have said that yeah some of those decks are super sweet good job i'm like sweet that's that's what i care about way more often than winning a game it's about the the experiences and impressions that i've left people more so than uh cool cole won a game good job pat on the back i can definitely agree with that but i i don't want to cut it short i do have to go have dinner and it is uh it's getting late it's a it's a work week uh so i think if it's okay with you, we'll we'll cut it there, and then you can plug yourself in everything that you do. All right. Well, uh, Cole, I want to thank you for having having me on the show here. It's kind of weird being on this side of the of the podcast for once. Well, I being, mean, being the guest, and you know what? Like, it has been months since the last time we we chatted on an episode, and I'm glad to get you back. And I'm, I'm really thankful you've come on. Uh, and honestly totally come back i'm sure there's a lot more we can talk about and we can we can get your guest chops in so you you feel a little more comfortable for sure for sure i i may or may not have uh, built a new uncommon commander actually <gasps> so you know just uh, kind of a spoiler alert on that one well we won't talk about it now we'll, we'll talk about it off the air um but <laughs> sure. M- but mj you are the host of the mtg in quarantine podcast you covered a lot of topics i'm a big fan of your planeswalkers segment where you and your guests talk about white in commander and i think that best you know the a good way to really understand the nuances of white and how it can actually be good in commander but uh not the only thing you do just the one i'm a big fan of um but yeah, what what else do you do on MTG in Quarantine? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So I like to say that 
my podcast, MTG in Quarantine, effectively tries to bring a little bit of positivity to an otherwise divided community. Now, stop me if, if you've heard that one before. It's like, oh, hey, the community is negative. Yes, yes, it, it happens a lot. Don't we all and, know it? <laughs> you know, I, I just try to bring a really positive vibe to everything because I feel like with all the things that are going on in the world these days, we just need something positive from our game. We don't need more discourse. We don't need more negativity. We just need kind of cool people just hanging out just like we are, you and I are right now, just talking about magic, talking about the things we really enjoy about magic, and just talking about this great format that is EDH. And so, I mean, I've talked about so many different things. I am, not only am I doing the Planeswalker series, which does talk about the strengths and a lot of the nuances of Mono White especially, but I also do... uh, Noah Brewer series where I bring cool people on, just talk to them how they build their own decks. So kind of like what we did tonight here, talking about how others build their decks. I do some kind of some previews of upcoming sets. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, I did a really cool episode with the Ken from Stack EDH and Scoop Phase on Crark the Thumbless specifically. It was a really awesome episode. You should totally check that out if you're interested in hearing more about Crark. Um, I've gotten a lot more into CDH and competitive commander a lot lately. That's been really fun uh, getting in into that side of the format and just learning all there is to know about uh, how how to really get into that side of the format as well as just some of the cool nuances. And then just, you know, a whole bunch of really awesome conversations about kind of everything from rule zero to how to kind of maximize your social experience. I've done uh, just all sorts of things. So if you're interested in just hearing a really chill content channel podcast that just really doesn't take itself too seriously, and hopefully if you're not sick of listening to me talk on this episode, that's also very important. Um, Definitely check me out on the usual podcast talents. That's going to be yours. And since I have to do this for... uh, for Neo Royal, for Phil here, you can find me on the usual podcast outlets. That would be the Google, Apple, Spotify player, FM Rocket Cast, Pocket Cast, and a whole bunch of other ones. I don't remember, but I'm doing my announcer voice. So, Phil, <laughs> I hope you're happy. Phil, do another edit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he will, too. He, uh, I, didn't ask, I didn't ask for that, but it was still really cool. Oh, it was, I, he, when he, uh, to anyone, anyone who does know, you know. But if you don't know... MJ, you do a absolutely wonderful and lovely intro to your episode that makes me thank you. That makes me green. I'm super jealous of it because I cannot hold a candle to it. But your delivery of it, your your announcer delivery of it, is so perfect that uh, Philippe from Neo Royal edited this short little clip of just words buzzing around the screen in every direction with. The exact the exact way I imagine the words being delivered in my head, and it was just such a perfect funny thing to do. And I need to find that link again because I'm definitely putting that in the show notes. <laughs> well, thank you, Cole. I really do appreciate it. You know that. Um, but hey, go check out MJ. I really think uh, MJ what you're doing, especially that now that you're interviewing a lot of people for how they brew, you're getting a spotlight for a lot of people in our community that um, I think is worth talking about because it's just another avenue of interacting with all these content creators in a way that gives us some real insight to their deck building that maybe they don't really publicize in a unique way. And uh, I'm glad that, that you're, you're doing that. So I think that's super cool. 
Yeah, it, it's really cool to be able to to learn about what other people are doing because, I mean, just you and I have been vibing off of Kark and Prava for the last 45 minutes to an hour here, and I hope the people out there listening have been too. And because, again, it gives you a window into how we think. This is a format where you can build however in the heck you want. And to really understand why and how people build, I think really kind of speaks to how you are as a player and as, as a brewer and in a way, a lot of ways as a person too. So um, it's, it's just some really cool insight. Got a lot of really cool people on there. I'll have to get you at some point in on there, Cole. We'll, we'll have to make that happen. I have to put a schedule together now because I feel I've, I'm starting to feel the energy you expressed to me the other day of so <laughs> do you have free time? No, I don't know where it went. Yeah, it, it's a real... That is the curse of being a content creator. I'm, I'm not going to lie. We'll get through it. And you definitely will get through it. Uh, oh, definitely. But that's it for this episode of Uncommon Commander. We talked about Prava, and yes, we talked about Kark. No, it's fine. It's all about Prava at the end of the day. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.